Um, so I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences, like when you were in school growing up, and and uh, and you're kind of you're in class, and the teacher calls on you to give an answer, and you realize I have not been listening to a word that they're saying. I don't know what we're talking about, and now I have to get up in front of my whole class and give some answer, and it's going to be incredibly embarrassing. Well, I'm kind of experiencing that times about a million this morning um, because here's what happened: is uh, my kids have been sick this week, and so I didn't come to church last night, which is kind of rare for me, and I almost never miss a service, and, and, uh, and so I didn't want to bring my kids and put them in the uh, kids' program, get all the other kids sick, and so I stayed home with them, and I watched service from home, and I come here this morning, and, um, and I was, uh, you know, I was just relaxing, I had the weekend off, and I was, I was really looking forward to just hanging out in the lobby and saying hi to everybody, and about 20 minutes before service, uh, my mom comes to me, and she says, your dad's got a migraine. Okay. What do you want me to do about that? Ah, well, here's the thing. He can't speak this morning, so you're going to need to speak. It's Palm Sunday. You know the verse, right? Okay, yeah, go ahead. Do that. Do that. Go ahead and do that thing. And I said, oh, like, like right now, like, like when service, oh, okay, cool. And so my kids are getting your kids sick right now because I had to throw them in there, right? And uh, no, they're really not, but <laughs> just kidding. My wife said, tell them you're kidding. Tell them you're kidding. I said, oh, okay, fine. Um, but I, I, uh, I, I do have that uh, opportunity, let's call it an opportunity, to um, speak to you this morning about a verse that I'm learning while you're learning, okay? Uh, yeah, it's going to be what I had a, um, a friend of mine ask me this week, Cody, do you ever get nervous up there like when you're speaking and stuff? And I said, well, yeah, just, do, you know, a lot of it depends on the content, what we're talking about, and how much prep time I put in and everything. And, and so I would say this weekend, very nervous, yes, very nervous, because I've had uh, 25 minutes of prep time. So, um, but luckily, I, I am familiar with the verse. Uh, I, I do know a little bit about Palm Sunday, so we're going to wing it, and we're going to see how it goes. Um, my dad gathered some pictures, and I thought I would show them this week. Uh, Eric, who's the head of our tech department, he took some pictures uh, in this last week to kind of just show that spring is here. Now, we don't really get to um, experience the seasons like they do in other parts of the country, you know, where it's a pretty drastic change between them. All of ours are, are pretty much around 70 to 75, you know, and that's why we like it. Uh, but we have, I guess, entered into this time of spring, and so there's lots of flowers and plants and, you know, greenery, and so I thought we'd show a couple of those pictures. Yes, beautiful pictures of, um, of just this last week. I think actually the, just in the last couple of days um, of all these, uh, these flowers, and, and here's what's really cool about this, is all of these flowers, all of these plants, they're incredibly beautiful, but they're also all located right here on this campus, when I saw it, I, I, I come here every single day. I work here. I walk past probably every part of this campus, and I can tell you I have seen none of these before. <laughs> In fact, I think we have one that shows um, some, some of the flowers, and, uh, and then it, it shows, our, there we go, some of the, the kids building there. So you know I'm not lying. I didn't make this up. And here's what's interesting is on the way in, you probably walked past some, if not a bunch of these plants and these flowers, and you saw none of them as well. That your mind was so busy thinking about what's going on, or you were running late for the 11 o'clock service, or whatever it might be, um, you missed it, right? You missed most of these things. You missed the beauty. You didn't get to stop. You didn't get to see uh, and really smell the roses, as they say. And I think that's kind of what Palm Sunday is all about, 
is when we go back to the, uh, to the day when Jesus rides in on a donkey, and we're going to go through that story, I think most people didn't realize what was happening. They were either uninterested or uninformed. They, they'd missed the beauty. They missed the significance of what was taking place on that day. And so I want to go through a couple of the, the verses, and I want to see if we can make sure that we don't miss uh, maybe some of the things that they missed as well. So Matthew 21.1 says this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, their, uh, put, them on, put, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So I just want to quickly make three observations and three learnings from this passage and the one that follows. So here's the first observation that I want to make. First observation is, um, things just turned into a crisis. It turned into do or die. Now, you probably wouldn't see that from the text. If you were just reading through it on your own, um, maybe you wouldn't realize that things just got real. But if you look at the background of what's happening here, you will realize that things are kind of coming to a culmination is Jesus was just before this passage on the road with his disciples, and two blind men shouted out to Jesus, and they asked to be healed by him. But when they asked to be healed by Jesus, they used this phrase. Here's what they said. They said, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus' response is, okay, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to heal your blindness? Now, this, this phrase, son of David, was referring to the Messiah. It was a messianic title. And what, he, what these blind men were saying was, you are the one that we've been waiting for. You are the king of kings. See, there was David, and he was the greatest king of Israel, but you, you're the son of David. You're the one that we've been waiting for, the one that God promised to send to us. You're the son of David. You are the Messiah. You're the one who's not only going to rule over Israel, you're going to rule over the entire world. And so what he's saying in this moment, what they're saying in this moment is, Jesus, you are the king of the universe. And up until this point, Jesus had not really acknowledged that. He kind of said, hey, let's keep it like low key, you know, don't really go out there and tell people who I am. And now he actually accepts the title and says, you're right, what do you want from me? And so what's happening here is um, he's really really put himself and everybody else into a corner. Because up until this point, you could say, I don't know, Jesus, he's a really good guy, good teaching, he's he's a miracle worker. Everybody can, can like Jesus if they want to like Jesus. And now he's saying, all right, you're going to have to make a choice about me. Who do you think that I am? Because right now I'm claiming that I am the Messiah, that I am the promised king. And the disciples had been waiting for him to admit this for, for, um, for a few years now. So a lot of you guys know that I, uh, I like prison documentaries. That's like my thing, right? I, like, I love watching prison documentaries, which is hilarious that I mention this because I wore a new shirt today that looks like I'm in prison. <laughs> right? Just my luck. Um, but it's funny because there's this point in the documentary oftentimes where a, a new person will come to the yard, and when this new person comes there, they kind of have to, um, they kind of have to take a stand for who they are. Like if they're trying to be the alpha male, they've got to go out and say, look, here I am. Uh, come in and confront me. Come after me. Let's see what you've got. And, and so they, they, this is really what Jesus is doing. He's entered into the yard, and he's saying, all right, I'm the Messiah. Who wants to challenge me? 
Who wants to come after me? Because he's confronting everyone. And, and he really only has one of two choices. Either he becomes the Messiah and he's anointed as the king or he's killed for blasphemy. You don't get to just go, oh, that Jesus making those crazy claims again. You know, like he's just so silly sometimes. I don't know, you know, like, no. That's not, he, he either is going to be uh, crowned the king or he's going to be killed. Ob- observation number two. Jesus had arranged the whole triumphal entry. We sometimes think of this scene where Jesus is riding in and he has all these people shouting his name and proclaiming that he's king. And he's like, oh, shucks, guys, it's just little old me riding in on a donkey. You know, and it kinda, he kind of just fell into this whole thing. No, this, this whole thing was his plan. He arranged every single part of this, including him riding in on a donkey. And so if you look back at the, the story and into the background a little bit, we see that he sent his disciples to Bethphage, which, Bethpage, which was um, a place that he had been often. Because Mary and Martha, some of his good friends, they lived in this village, and he spent a lot of time with them. In fact, he did one of his most impressive miracles, which was raise a man from the dead, Lazarus, there. And so the people of the village, they were very familiar with who Jesus was, and he was familiar with them. He knew the location of where everybody lived. He understood that they, these people had a donkey over here, and these people were there. And so everybody knew who he was, and he knew who everybody else was in that village. And so when he sent the disciples to get this donkey, he probably had a good idea, here's where it's going to be. And then when he said, tell them who it's for, it's for Jesus, they're going to go, oh, Jesus, you mean the guy who can raise people from the dead? Whatever he needs, it's his. Go ahead and take it. This also makes sense of the passage after this. In verse 8, what happens is we see this giant crowd begin to gather around Jesus. And the reason is because they knew what was going to happen. They understood the scriptures. They knew that when Jesus was coming into the city riding on a donkey, he was making a huge claim. And so people start to gather. It's kind of like um, when, when we were growing up and someone would say that there was a fight. And it's like, fight, fight, fight. What does every person in the area do? What? <laughs> you know, like, boom, the whole crowd gathers, fight, right? Or like, no, whatever, whatever your deal was, okay? That's what's happening, is everybody is going, alarm bells are ringing, Jesus, miracle worker, claiming to be the Messiah, riding in on a donkey into the city. We got to go and see what happens. And so they follow him from the village into the city, which makes sense, because here's what it says in verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So the road is the road leading into the city. So these people were not from the city. They were from the village, following him into the city, and then they're lined up along the road, and they're making a big deal out of him. And then we'll see the people in the city kind of have no idea what's going on. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so these people are standing out. They know who he is. They know what he's done. They're celebrating him, claiming that he is the coming king. As he enters into the city, all the other people are going, we, Who is this Jesus? Why is everybody making such a big deal out of him? And here he comes, riding in on a donkey. It's kind of crazy to think that he arranged every single part of this. All of this was under his control. All of this was organized by him. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was proclaiming. He knew what he was doing. This was all a part of his plan. He was declaring himself king as he rides into the city. Observation number three. This one's kind of obvious. Jesus is riding a donkey. 
That's kind of absurd, right? Jesus is riding a donkey. He couldn't do better than a donkey. Like, he is the creator of the universe, and he's riding. So this is like something that a servant would ride. This is not like, hey, Jesus, this is the Bentley of the day. He's rolling in like, yeah, look at the donkey. It's a new model, you know? Like, no. Donkey. This is not cool. See, kings, they would be in chariots, or they would be carried in, or they would be on war horses, and they would come in in power and might and strength. And what is he riding in on? A servant's pet. A donkey. They usually carry stuff around, not people. And yet here he is, coming in, proclaiming that he is king, riding in on a donkey. Somehow, uh, I picture this happening today. And if you go and you look at, like, Instagram, or you watch one of these, you know, TMZ or whatever, it's just constant, um, constant pictures and videos and talking about who the celebrities of our day are, and whether they're influencers or athletes or politicians. And one of the things that they love to do is take pictures of themselves and then post it online and kind of show what a big deal they are. It's like there's this one picture, I I won't won't name who it was, but their bed was full of $100 bills and they were laying on it, right? And I thought, my first thought honestly was, how unsanitary is that? (laughs) Okay, that's disgusting. Just get like cashier's checks or something, you know? Like we get it, that's gross. And then like, they have these other pictures of all the jewelry with them and, and they're getting on their private planes and they're driving their supercars. And, and yet here comes Jesus and he says, you're famous for being beautiful, for being an athlete, for being a politician. And yet I, the creator of the universe, comes in humbly, and on this donkey, not trying to impress anybody, not trying to do anything, because that's the point. I think he's trying to make a point here, right? The person who has the most authority and the most power in the entire universe does what? Serves. He comes in in weakness. Now, I don't want you to get confused, because here's kind of some of the learnings here, is Jesus was also a confrontational king. Jesus here is really forcing the issue. He's coming in, yes, and he is meek, and he is a servant, and yet he is not weak. What I mean by this is, is he comes in and he's not being, uh, he, he's not being, what's the word I'm looking for? Ten, no, uh, a wuss, okay? He's not being a wuss. That's not the word, but we're going with it, okay? <laughs> Whatever. So, <laughs> ah, it's going to be one of those days, right? Uh, so he comes in, and, and, and he's, being, he's being meek. Is he being meek? Where am I? What service is this? <laughs> Who are we right now? <laughs> no, I got it. I'm back. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. He's being humble. That's what it is. He's being humble, although he doesn't need to be. And yet, he's also being confident. He's coming in, and he's proclaiming that he is the Messiah and that he is the King. And oftentimes, we think these things are in tension and contradiction to one another, and yet he says, I am both. I come in, and I'm forcing people to make a decision about me. Who, what are you going to do with this Jesus? He doesn't come in, and so our reaction when people write, and maybe you've been to like LA, or you've been to Vegas, or you've been to whatever, and you see these people, and they come in supercars, and they, you know, and, and you just, oh, you love to hate them, right? You just go, oh, I just want to punch you, or something, oh, just because they're arrogant, you know? And so he comes in, and it's like he's riding up on a Pinto. <laughs> I just thought of that, okay. 
my goodness. Woo! <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, uh, we're never going to get through this. Okay. <laughs> and so he comes in, and, and, and he's humble. He's not flashy. He's not showing off. And yet he also steps up and says, now what are you going to do? I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. And so people are forced to either go, I, I'm going to worship him as the Messiah, I'm going to give my life over to him, or I'm going to kill him. Because he doesn't leave us this room in the middle to simply like him. He makes a demand of us. He says, I'm going to be king or I'm going to be killed. It's up to you. In Revelation 3:15, he says this, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you either, uh, I wish that you were either hot or cold. Because you are lukewarm, you are neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus talking, okay? And he comes and he says, look, I don't want you to just be whatever about me. He's a good teacher. He's an interesting guy. I like his philosophy. Nope, that's not an option. You're either in or you're out. You're either 100% or you're nothing. Because he doesn't want halfway. And so he pushes us in this corner to make a decision. Second learning is Jesus is a counterintuitive king. Counterintuitive for the obvious reasons that he rides in on a donkey and that he comes kind of unassuming. And it also is a prediction or was a prophe prophecy that uh, he's fulfilling. Genesis 49, it says, He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. And so everybody thought that this new Messiah, the one who's going to come and save us, is going to bring in prosperity, material wealth, that they're going to overthrow our oppressors, that it's going to bring freedom. And Jesus comes in and he goes, I'm going to do something far greater than that. Now, they didn't realize that because they're thinking worldly. They're thinking present. They're thinking here and now, and here's what my problems in life are. You need to get these Romans off our back. They're, they're oppressing us. We need to be freed from them. And yet we're hungry. Can you imagine the, the prosperity where they can wash their clothes and wine because it's just flowing so freely? And yet Jesus comes and he says, I am going to do far greater than that. And it's going to be totally counterintuitive. You can already see by the way that I've entered into and I've proclaimed that my kingdom is here, but it also is going to be the type of kingdom that I'm bringing. Because the type of kingdom that I'm bringing, although I think it's going to have some serious and uh, tangible practical effects on your life, the purpose of it is not to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. It is to bring you from death to life. It is to reconcile you with your creator. Because he knew that the real issue that we have was not whatever oppression that we're feeling or, or whatever material needs we may have, and he does care about those, but he knew that the real issue was that we have been separated from God by our sin. And so he comes and he says, I'm going to take care of your deepest needs, even if it's counterintuitive, even if you don't understand it. He actually comes in and he cleanses the temple right after this. He goes in and he's essentially saying, the temple of God is also my temple. So get out. He clears the house. What he's saying is, God and me, we're one and the same. This is our house. You need to get out because I've come to spiritually renew you. Not just to renew this kingdom of Israel. The kingdom that I'm going to initiate is going to be brought in by people's hearts and minds, by people deciding to follow me, to give their life over to me. And this kingdom is here, and it's coming, and yet it's still to come. And I'll talk about that in a second, but I think here's the big pictures. Sin, or servants putting themselves in the place of the king, and salvation is the king putting himself in the place of the servant. Sin is us trying to be God. 
right? That, that's the sin of Adam and Eve. That's kind of what this all boils down to is I don't want you to be in charge of me. I want to be in charge of me. You can't tell me what to do. I'm my own authority. That's what sin is, is ultimately saying, God, I don't want you. I want me. I want to be in charge of my life. And so sin is the servant, us, telling the king, we don't want you. And salvation comes with the king come, becoming the servant and saying, I'll die on your behalf. Last observation or learning is this, is the king is coming. It says in verse 5, behold, your king is coming to you. And you have to notice that it's, it's present tense here. It's not that the king has come or the king will come, but the king is coming, which means that the, the process has begun, that the king is arriving. And, and I could go into a whole sermon about this, about what this means, but really what it's saying here is there's this thing called the kingdom of God in which all of us can live in the here and now. And what it is, is, is we give our hearts and our minds and our souls over to our creator, and we get to live as uh, his, his, his citizens here and now, where he is our king. And so what it means is that the king and the kingdom are continuing to come, that everyone on earth has a decision to make. Will they follow the king? Will they bow down to the king? Or will they continue to try to be their own authority? And so in Psalm 96, it says this, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. What it's saying here is that all of us were in this in-between state where the, the king has come and he is bringing the kingdom and yet it is not fully here yet. We live in this place where we get to decide, will we be a part of his kingdom or will we not? And one day, this kingdom will be fully realized here on earth. And when this happens, everything will be made new, including you and I. And this brings an incredible amount of hope and joy that when the king comes and he brings everything back under his rulership, that we will be made new. And that is the hope that we as Christians continue to look forward to. And so I think the challenge of Palm Sunday is what are you going to do with the coming king? See, we, we have the privilege of being able to look back and know what happens at the end of the week. Yes, there's the crucifixion, but there's also the resurrection. And see, the, the crucifixion is them saying, no, you're not really the Messiah, you're not really the king, and you're not really bringing in a kingdom. And yet the resurrection says, yes, I am, and it's something that we would have never expected, so who's with me? And I think that's the decision that we have to make, is are we with the king or not? The king is coming. Are we prepared? Are we ready? Are we, are we eager? Are, do we have anticipation and joy because we know that the king is coming? Or do we act like many of them where we want nothing to do with the king? Where the king is threatening our very core because that core is where we get to be in charge, where we get to build our little kingdoms, we get to be the rulers of our life, or will we bow down and say the king has come, he is coming, and we all await and so my challenge for you would be, if you have never made that decision before, where you have said, you know what, I want Jesus to be the king of my life. This is a great week to do this. Because not only do we see Friday when all of our sins and death is taken care of, but more importantly, we get to see Sunday where the resurrection takes place and our king has defeated sin and death. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for, we thank you for the incredible challenge of of these conflicting kingdoms, the kingdom of the here and the now in which we are in charge, and the kingdom where you rule, where, where you are ultimately in charge. And yet, it is in that kingdom in which we find hope and we find healing. And Lord, we look forward to that day because you are here and yet you are still to come. 
And so, Lord God, we just thank you for this holy week. As we enter into uh, Good Friday and then Easter, Lord, this is an incredible reminder that you are not distant, that you are not far, but that you have stepped in and that you continue to, to make a way and continue to love us. And Lord, I personally thank you for allowing me to make it through this sermon. Amen. <laughs>